0: Welcome to the Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Very interview-heavy on the program. As full disclosure, I'm camping right now. So... Tough to do a podcast when you don't have cell reception. So a couple guests coming on. Very Calgary Flames-centered, the podcast today. We have Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca and then the color voice of the Calgary Flames, Peter Labardius, to go through what should be an interesting off-season for the Calgary Flames. As always, rate, review, subscribe. If you want to find me on social media, I am Primetime Klein on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv PrimetimePK and on YouTube, Primetime Klein. 1. Without any further ado, let's try to fix the Calgary Flames. Here's my interview with Ryan Pike. The Calgary Flames season uh, officially behind us. The draft lottery is now also behind us. What excitement that was. Uh so here to break down now the Flames off season now that we know a few more of the particulars is Ryan Pike from flamesnation.ca. Mr. Pike, how are you today, sir?
1: I'm excellent. How
0: about you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Uh, we, we are now officially into off-season mode for the Calgary Flames. I guess we, we've been there for a little bit now, but now that we've had some time to digest what happened, and I guess in the Flames case more, what didn't happen? Um, your reflection on, on what I consider to be a remarkably disappointing season for the Flames.
1: I mean, I, I think... If you look at, like, the arc of the Flames under Bradfield Living since 2014, it's sort of been, you know, they've been underachieving and then overachieving. And I think expectations management, as they've gone through that, those arcs have been, has been kind of a challenge at times. I mean... You know, let let's be quite honest. Like dating back to his his first season as GM in fourteen fifteen. I mean, you have Bob Hartley in the last uh, last year of his existing contract, and you know the team was objectively not a great team. They were a fine team that absolutely rode you know hot hot percentages to make it to the Stanley Cup playoffs and win around the first mm-hmm. round they won in 2004. So in that respect, maybe, you know, your hands are kind of tied because you basically have to keep your coach then. But I think the problem with that season is, you know, I think it gave, gave folks internally and externally, potentially the the expectation that the team is better than they were. And then, you know, they disappointed the next season when everything sort of normalized and they sort of became what they really were. And then, the the you know you can look at just from a coaching perspective it's been a bunch of different guys at the wheel for various reasons you know since 2015 and you know it's sort of uh, you know the three bears approach of some coaches were too too hard on the team hartley peters to a certain extent some coaches were too too easy on the team Gullitson, Ward to some extent And, you know, now they sort of have, you know, a guy with Daryl Sutter who, depending on the player, can be either an absolute, you know, warmonger against you (laughs) or a guy who wants to be your best friend. And, you know, that approach has worked for him in L.A. It worked for him in Calgary until it didn't, Uh, you know, and I'll say this, you know, at least Daryl, when he was in Calgary, you know, he stepped back from coaching because he felt he couldn't do the GM and the coaching job, you know, adequately doing them both at once, which. I commend, you know, he knew his limitations back then, so I commend him for it. But, you know, him in LA, I mean, until his his shelf life ended up, you know, guys who who played for him in LA, for the most part, have really nice things to say about him. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but you know, I, I think the challenge is, you know, look look at the the eighteen nineteen team where the Flames were, you know, lights out for two-thirds of the season, sort of went into cruise control around St. Patrick's Day and then just sort of got absolutely schooled by Colorado in that first round. And then, you know, it's been sort of, you know, weird ups and downs that I don't think they figured out a way to manage very well. And honestly, you know, I think managing – you know the the emotions of the room, the expectations of the room. It's something that not all coaches are really great at. So you know, I, I think you know if if Daryl's the guy who can do that, that might be the big thing. But you know, I just think they 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 just didn't really do a great job managing you know those kind of emotional roller coasters.
0: Right, with Daryl Sutter coming in kind of mid season, how how do you think that the team handled that change when when you watch the the on ice product? Obviously. Um, low event hockey came up a couple of times uh, on Twitter. but uh, how, how do you think the team took to Daryl Sutter's way of playing hockey?
1: Uh, I, th- I think you know, I, th- I think uh, Derek Ryan phrased it really nicely, you know in back when even when Jeff War was the coach, I think Derek Ryan hit the nail on the head in one of his uh, zoom availabilities with us when he sort of mentioned that you know the flames sometimes are an impatient team. And they sort of, you know, want to play that up tempo, you know, river hockey through the neutral zone, and sort of, you know, makes fancy plays and stretch passes. And even, even back before Daryl came in, Derek made the point that, you know, the, the Flames when they're most effective, play a strong structural game and then just sort of make, you know, short plays, smart little plays, and then basically structure you to death because, you know, are they a team that has, you know, high-end skill? Well, yeah, and some of their players do have high-end skill, but the thing that makes them really effective is playing within the structure. You, You know, Jeff Ward said that quite a bit and I don't know if the match got through. And then when <laughs> Daryl Sutter came in, they sort of embraced with, you know, Ville Niemen and very uh, infamously called hospital hockey because you required lots of patience to play it. <laughs> and I think early on the first few weeks, you sort of saw the team sort of struggle with sort of, you know, maintaining that structural discipline. And I think as it, as it went on, I mean, you know, if you look at the underlying analytics, the flames got better and better at managing chances, minimizing scoring chances against and really sort of embracing the the two one, three two grind of, of how Darrell wants them to play. Because you know, I I think the challenge is to be effective in the NHL, especially you know, if you look at how the how hockey's being played, you know, in the postseason, you basically have to have four lines to play the same way. And unless you have the the, the skill, like say, you know, bless their hearts, Colorado can afford to play a freewheeling, offensive minded you know, style of hockey because they have McCars and, you know, they have McKinnons and Ranton. Like they have a lot of high-end skill to the point where even their fourth line is pretty skilled. Like their fourth line can play against most teams, seconds or thirds. All due respect to the Flames, I don't think that right now they have the kind of structural depth in their organization to be able to Colorado it up. So what they have to do, I think, to be effective is what Daryl's saying, where they need to sort of have four lines playing sort of a disciplined, grind it out you know, style and just sort of wear you down over the course of over three periods to the point where you know, your, your mind and your, your, you know, your will to play basically gives out by the third period and they pull away. I mean, is it the most exciting brand of hockey to play? Uh, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure from a fan perspective, you know, it's going to a game where they, there might be, you know, it's like the the, the, the the scoreboard sort of resembles a soccer scoreboard, you know, yeah. might not be the most thrilling thing. But, you know, if what's the old saying, like if you have a parade, you'll be you're willing to give a lot of things. And, you know, Daryl was really effective at getting L.A. to play that kind of hockey over the years when he was in L.A. And they had a couple parades out of it. So I think, you know, if that's what you want, if that's the outcome, if that's sort of the means to an end, I think you can stomach a lot of it
0: with the, the flames now going into the off season, I guess the, the first thing on the checklist is the Seattle expansion draft and going into the season, I thought Sam Bennett was just like earmarked for Seattle. Uh, clearly that's not the case as he is now a, a Florida Panther. Uh, I guess he still might, but not from a, a flames perspective um, for, for Calgary. Now, is there a, a clear and obvious one who you think might be on their way to, to Seattle and what, Do you think there are tough decisions, I guess, to make when it comes to who you're protecting with this flames team?
1: Well, I think, I think the, the big topic on uh, on exit day was the status of Mark Giordano. I mean, he's, you know, a Norris trophy winner. He's the the team's second all time games played leader. He's the team's captain, Uh, you know, he's one of the more long-serving captains of the flames. I mean, as, you know, foundational as uh, Gerald McGinley was to the previous iteration of the flames, I think Mark Giordano is foundational to this iteration of the flames in terms of what they want their team to be all about. But he's also, you know, October, he's going to be 38 years old when the season starts. He's on a deal that pays him 6.75 million. You know, if you're Seattle, you know, the, if, Giordano's exposed he might be kind of tempting because you know it's kind of a weird cap hit to take on for a year but you get someone who can do a, a nice job sort of setting a tone for your organization and then you know Ron Francis is an old school hockey guy at heart and I think he really looks at you know the things that Giordano does well and goes okay you know you need to hit a cap floor 6.75 mil isn't a lot of money to spend for a guy who can play as much as Giordano maybe that's something you want to do and I think, you know, the, when the Ford ranks, the flames have seven guys that I think are pretty obvious to expose Milan Lucic is going to wave his no He already has agreed to wave his no move. So he'll be exposed uh, on the, on, in goal, Markstrom's going to be protected. Uh, and I think they're going to, yeah, I think they're <laughs> exposing, I think they're going to qualify uh, Tyler Parsons and, and expose him and, I don't know. That'll, that'll be fine. I don't think he'll, I think he'll be safe. Uh, <laughs> but on the blue line, I mean, you have three spots and you have four guys you might want to protect in Giordano, Chris Tanev, Rasmus Anderson, and Noah Hannifin. And you know, if you just look at ages, you have three guys who are significantly younger than Giordano, And Tanev was fantastic this year, especially considering he played like last like twenty some games with wrecked ribs and some torn whatever. Like he he played with you know he, we we always talk about hockey players being tough. I mean. I don't know why you would play. You know, granted, he was. Pl- let's be blunt. He was playing that like that because that's sort of his forte. And the Flames had a had a, a shot at the playoffs. So I'm kind of shocked he wasn't shut down for the last four games. But that's, that's right. Point. <laughs> but you know, like you know, Hannifin, fantastic. Anderson has a lot of untapped potential. I don't think he quite tapped this year. Tanev was arguably the best defenseman this year. And Giordano is your captain. Uh, based on cap hit and age, I think the logic is you exposed Giordano. If he gets claimed, it kind of sucks. But then you have seven million dollars of cap space to go doing something with. I mean, you can probably wipe your tears away and go, "Oh man, that sucks." I wonder what Taylor Hall's doing right now? I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's sort of the, the the that's sort of the the thing you have to weigh from a Flames perspective because you know hypothetically, if Seattle takes Milan Lucic, who's from Vancouver, and makes I think his cap hit next year is five point two five million for the Flames or for Seattle you know, you could, could you tempt Seattle to take Lucic and open up a bunch of cap space? You know, do you, if you're the Flames, do you want to throw a a draft pick towards Seattle to get them to not take Giordano or, and then maybe take Lucic? Like, I think that's gonna be one of the more interesting things because Lucic and Giordano both are good functional NHLers. I think Giordano is closer to a high-end player than Lucic is, but Lucic is really good this year as a a depth guy. Uh, So, both of them could bring leadership. Both of them could set the tone. Both of them can hit help you hit the cap floor. Both of them, you know, will bring a lot of the off on and off ice leadership that you want early on. And I think that was the kind of thing that was really effective with Vegas, where they got Derek England in sort of a similar role. Granted, Derek England's cap hit was way way lower. Uh, similarly, you know, Derek Ryan will be you know an unrestricted free agent. Potentially, if you're Seattle, I mean, Derek Ryan made $3.125 million last year. He's a free agent. Potentially, you can get him to, you know, to play for 2 million. And he could bring a lot of things that Giordano and Lucic bring, but for a much lower paycheck, maybe that's tempting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you're Seattle, maybe look at Matthew Phillips, Glenn Godden. Oliver Shillington's been sort of around the periphery of the NHL and arguably hasn't really gotten a great chance to show what he can do because the flames have been pushing for playoff spots and haven't really had the ability to audition guys to the extent that they might've in other situations. So, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting because the expansion draft could really help the flames. You know, if you're, if you're one of those fans thinking, Hey, the flames need to shake things up this summer. Well, if Seattle can take some money off your hands in a significant contract, you have the ability to go out and maybe make a run at Nugent Hopkins to play uh, the wing or, or add some center depth to the top six. Maybe you can open up some cap space to do a lot of different things. You know, you have the ability to potentially take on cap in a trade. You know, like I don't know if they have the assets necessary to go out and get Jack Eichel via trade, but you have the cap space if Lucic or Giordano go bye bye. You get the cap space to potentially explore that without really needing to blow up your roster. So, yeah. th- I think I think that week the the you know the, the expansion drafts July twenty first, and then free agency opens July twenty eighth. That seven day period is going to be utterly fascinating because the Flames could look substantially different between the beginning and the end of that week
0: hmm the, the Lucic conversation, I think, is really interesting because, like, there is the, the it, it is kind of old school versus new school, but I, I don't know if it needs to be because it's like, I, I think you can understand that there is a presence to Milan Lucic in the locker room and he plays a hard nose gritty style that, like, he plays the role of Milan Lucic very, very well. And I think you can understand that while also saying that's not worth $5 million though. Like that he he does him well. It's just, he gets paid too much to be him. That That is the, the issue. I think both, this is one of those things where both things can be true.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say I would compare sort of how he fits into the Flames the way Matt Station fit in when Matt mm-hmm. Station was here, especially the early part of the rebuild where, you know, if you if you look at some of the Flames younger younger players, I mean, you know, granted it helped that a lot of them came from the OHL and sort of, you know, I don't want to make Matt feel old here, so sorry. Uh, but a lot of them grew up, watching Matt Station play for the Leafs in Southern Ontario and you know if you're you know if you're Sean Monahan or if you're Joe Colborne or if you're any one of these guys coming into the NHL as a young 20 year old you have no idea what to expect you know having a Luchich or a stage in there to sort of show you the ropes like you know let's be let's be quite honest I mean you know you can't just have one guy as the team leader because if if everything's up to Backland or Or Giordano to sort of teach the young guys how to become full-time pros. Like that's tough, but you know, like if you look at if you look at how like the Flames' leadership group has worked, you know, you've you've had young defensemen breaking in. And undrafted free agents, guys who sort of were sort of long shots. I mean, if you're Garnet Hathaway breaking the NHL, you just looked across the locker room and you had Mark Cardano, who was sort of a similar long shot NHLer to make it. And I think it sort of helps you buy into what the team's asking you to do because you have somebody who's been there, done that, and been able to convert themselves at a high level. And same with, you know, all the Swedes that Flames bringing in. You know, you come in and you don't really like uh, Lucas uh, folk. Uh, like you know, uh, I covered the twenty nineteen NHL draft, which seems like a thousand years ago. <laughs> in Chicago actually vancouver rather uh but you know lucas folk told us you know when we were talking to him uh, that you know one of the first people he talked to in the organization was Matt, was michael Batlin because the flames have a hundred thousand swedes and if you're a swedish kid who gets drafted by the flames a swedish guy on the, who's on the team will call you and say hey welcome to the organization how you doing can we do it? can we help you out with anything call me if you have questions and i think that goes a lot and you know the, the more guys you have the more guys that that helps out and i think if you're, you know, Dylan Dubé or Mount Japani or, you know, potentially, you know, in the upcoming season, guys like Zeri or Pelche or Godin or Ruzicka, having someone who's sort of a guy who's played a role like Lucic for a few years and can sort of teach, tell you the the ins and outs of how to be a pro on a daily basis, especially someone like Lucic who broke in at 19, that's huge. And I yeah. think if you're Seattle and you're, you know, you don't know, you're going to have a, a weird mix of guys, Having somebody and having multiple somebodies on that team who can sort of set that foundation for here's what our culture is gonna be like, here's what we expect, here's the kind of guys we want you to be like going on and off the ice. I think that could be really valuable. Is it 5.25 million dollars a year valuable? I mean, well, no, but right. much like you know, matchup with Matt and I'm never going, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, Do you want three times what your market value probably is to sign here? I'm never going to blame someone for saying take yes to the money because they have families, you know, you never know how long someone's NHL career is going to be. And, you know, I'm never going to I'm never going to fault somebody for saying yes to money that was, was offered to them. Right. And you know, it's, and I, I think, you know, as much staging was a really good fit once he sort of embraced that mentor role, I think Luke Sheet has been a really good fit once he sort of figured out what his niche was on the team and sort of embraced it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, interesting summer, man.
0: Yeah, no, it really, really is. And I, I think that I, I was of the belief that big changes were coming to the Flames last offseason. And then, I mean, they, they bring in Markstrom and Tanev, so the, those would be considered big changes, but they weren't necessarily the ones I was thinking of. And the, the salary cap staying flat, I, I thought, may have gotten away of that. And then this year, again, the salary cap, it's not going anywhere once again. How, how do you think the salary cap staying where it's at affects things for the Flames in, in this upcoming offseason? Yeah.
1: In a word, it's going to be tight. And the, the crazy yeah. thing is, you know, looking back, I mean, you, dating back to, I mean, back to the summer of nineteen, where you know, I remember like the 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 NHL sort of provide projections, and we didn't get told the salary cap for nineteen twenty until like the day before the NHL draft in Vancouver, and it was the you know the GMs are like it's going to be lower than you expected. And I think dating back to then, I mean, you know, that was the summer where you know. Bradshaw Living wanted to make some changes after that 18-19 season where the Flames didn't quite perform the way they wanted to against uh, against Colorado. And then the whole summer was taken up with the Matthew Kachuk negotiations. And combined with that and the salary cap, not going really up that much, they were you know handcuffed. Summer of 2020, well, there's a pandemic and now the cap's flat. Ah, oh, snap. So you, you take care of Taneb, you take care of Markstrom, and now you have no money and you have to go bargain shopping. And Start of 2021 is going to be very similar, and you know, know, and Elliot Friedman in 31 Thoughts sort of mentioned uh, this week that there's thought process is the cap's going to be flat until around 2024-25, so it's going to be another three, four years of this, and so I think organizations are going to have to get pretty creative because it's going to be money in, money out probably for the next three seasons, and if you're the Flames, you have you know this summer you don't really have a lot of tough decisions to make. I mean, it's Dubé and Valimaki, and then trying to upgrade. So maybe you can, you know, do some things, maybe you can't, but I think it's going to really the cap not going up for a few years is really going to put Seattle in the catbird seat in terms of being able to weaponize their cap space. Because, you know, if you're the flames and you're thinking, okay, the GM's got two years left in his contract. Sutter's got two years left in his contract. A lot of the really good players have two years left in their contracts. Is there a way you can open up some wiggle room to make, the team good enough to make a push because you did not, you know, we don't know how much Daryl Sutter's making. We know it's not nothing because, you know, Daryl doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would come off this ranch for, uh, for pennies on the dollar. So he's, I imagine he's being well compensated. Uh, I think the league's average coach right now is making about 2.5 million and the league's average coach does not have two Stanley cup rings. So that's probably a, a decent ballpark for where he's doing. You're not paying Daryl that kind of money to, putter around in the middle. You're going to you're going to try to do something. And so I think I think it'll be incumbent on the flames to try to get creative this year. So and then and then they got to, you know, they got to figure out the drove it all, you know, Gadrov's no trade kicks in on uh, the 28th of July, so in like 7 weeks. Uh so they got to figure out do you want to lock him in long term and figure out the money around that and then you have, you know, probably the next, you know, you have Kachuk to figure out, Majapani to figure out and you know, Giordano still around. You got to figure out, do you want what kind of extension are you looking at for your captain? What kind of a pay cut is he potentially willing to take to stick around as he gets towards his forties? You know, he's, he's been very adamant that, you know, he's, he's in shape. He's, you know, as long as he can contribute, he wants to be around for a while. So what's that going to look like? I mean, yeah. th- there, there's, you know, this, this summer is basically, you know, once, once you get past one, problem to solve there's gonna be another three or four dominoes to topple based on the decisions you make
0: yeah and then you have to figure out how are you improving right because like this team was not good enough last season hence the whole not making the playoffs thing so like you you have to take care of all that internal stuff and then hey how can we make these guys better as well like it's it feels like it's a lot for the flames and as we talked about with not a lot of space to do that in
1: yeah and i and i think you know i think the the challenge is i mean Some let's be blunt. Some guys took steps backward this year or Mm -hmm. didn't take steps forward. I mean, you know, Yusuf Alamaki didn't, you know, I think a lot of folks, including myself, thought maybe he pushed for top four minutes based on how well he did in Finland. But the NHL is kind of a different beast, and especially with playing the same teams over and over and over again, you know, I think I think he took a step, but I think he took a half step. He could have taken a giant leap and he didn't. And you know maybe that was just weird expectation for folks to have of a guy who's 21, 22 years old and hadn't played like he missed a year and a half of his first two years of pro hockey due to right. pretty substantial injuries. But he by the end of the season he looked confident. He looked like he you know what he was doing. But you know Rasmus Anderson was good, but people hoped he would be great, and he wasn't. He was you know he wasn't terrible, but you know Dubé took a step, but I don't think he took a leap forward. Majapani took a leap forward. Let's be blunt. Yes. Like, yeah. Majapani was arguably their the two best players in the team consistently were probably Majippa. Three let's if you're going to go with 3, Majiupani, Lindholm and I'm going to say Tanif. Those are the three most consistently good players. But, you know, outside of maybe Noah Hanif and nobody took a giant leap forward. And I think, you know, the expectations were if enough of the young guys can take steps, they'll be in good shape. And enough of the young guys didn't and they weren't in good shape. But even with you know, everybody sort of, sort of staying basically the same or taking you know half steps. They only miss the playoffs by a few points. So, you know, I think the the challenge is: can the guys who faltered in those you know two one games, three two games, four three games, can you get enough extra stuff out of them, or go out and upgrade those positions where you can be on the right side of those three two games? Because
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think. Milan Lucic mentioned you know I I think back to that first week in uh, the week of games uh, they had I think three or four games against Toronto and Montreal early I think in mid to late January where they just found ways to lose in like the third period where like Toronto just pulled away from them or Montreal just pulled away from them you know the Flames couldn't hold a lead or the Flames couldn't get all the way back in so bad starts and, and awkward finishes cost them enough points you can probably look at two you know, five, six, seven games in January and February and go, yeah, that's why they missed the playoffs because they couldn't hold that lead or they just didn't show up on time. But if you can make, if, you know, maybe Daryl's enough on his own to set the expectations that this is how you need to, this is how you need to look in opening periods that maybe that's good enough. I mean, they're going to be in, you know, they're going to be in the Pacific division next year. And the Pacific division is a scary Vegas team, a pretty good Edmonton team with some holes Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, Anah- Seattle, San Jose, Anaheim, LA. So the California teams are going to be better because there's no way they can't be. They've been pretty rough the last couple of years. Yeah. But I don't think it's not exactly murderer's row like it used to be. Seattle will, won't be Vegas good. They might not be like Atlanta bad, but they're going to be somewhere in the middle. And God knows what Vancouver is going to end up look like because they're going to have the same kind of cap challenges that a lot of teams do. So, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking – you know, if, if the Flames bring back the same twenty-some guys, and they won't, but if they somehow did bring back the same twenty-some guys, the combination of you know a, a, a rough season that teaches them some lessons, and a hard-ass coach that's going to keep them disciplined, and a division which is probably easier to make the playoffs in than the Canadian division was, they're probably good enough to make the playoffs as is. But yeah. the challenge is, are they good? You know, are they good enough to get past Edmonton or Vegas? And I think that's going to have to be the framing they have to look at this offseason with because, you know, making the playoffs and being out in four games, you know, that's, that won't be good enough. That will be sort of, you know, a waste of everyone's time. So with two years left on, on the GM's contract, two years left on Daryl's contract, how do they figure out a way to get past that first round and figure out a way to, you know, topple Vegas or Edmonton and actually make a run of this?
0: Yeah, uh, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Mr. Pike, I've taken up way too much of your time. Thank you very much for doing this today. And uh, as we've discussed, this is going to be an interesting season. So I'll imagine, uh, I imagine I'll be bugging you again soon. Looking forward to it. <laughs> the music for Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. All right, one interview down, one to go. Peter Labardius coming up in just a matter of moments. Full disclosure, we taped this on Thursday before Team Canada's overtime victory over the Russians at the World Hockey Championships. So yes, now, Peter Labardius. Very pleased to welcome our next guest to the show, uh, someone who I consider uh, a mentor and then a friend, uh, Peter Labardius joining the program today. Mr. Labardius, thank you very much for taking the time today. How are you?
3: I am uh, much better than I'm talking to you. It's great to see you, my friend. Um, It's been far too long. And I think it only makes sense that you and I would talk in the noon hour. Yes, yeah, it, it seems like a, a pretty good time frame for, for us it to be chatting, does. hey? It does. It does. <laughs>
0: um, and with the familiar time slot, let's talk about a familiar subject, and, and that being the, the Calgary Flames. Now that we've had uh, a bit of time to kind of let it set, all the emotions out of the way, I, I would assume at least, um, and we've got some pretty good hockey under our belts from the playoffs. What do you make now of the the last season that we saw from the Calgary Flames?
3: Well, I think you could probably sum it up, Peter, with a few adjectives, and one of them would be disappointment. There was certainly much more expected. And in terms of summing it up, and we had lots of these conversations as the season went on, I think expectation in many ways is something that I've thought about a lot and maybe even more since the flame season ended. and And what I mean by that is were the expectations considering the division the types of people that they were facing in the division you know were those a little lofty all things considered so that's a but b there's no way that it's not a major disappointment for that particular hockey team not to find their way into the top four of the north division so um, you know, underachieved, didn't get it done, you know, certainly didn't prosper under a, what I talk about a lot, a playoff style set up this year 56 games, lots of different mini series that, you know, almost emulated a playoff scenario in a sense all year long. And, you know, when it was all said and done, as the new coach came in and pointed out as often as he could, they didn't win enough series against enough other teams. And mm. that's what you had to do in order to make your way into the final four. And they didn't do it.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the the big disappointments is that, while while they played well at the beginning of the season it's not like montreal took it from them like montreal w- with how they were playing down the stretch was almost asking one of calgary or mm-hmm. vancouver like here take it. it it is right there for you like just absolutely take it and they just they couldn't and it was i mean it, it was almost it was so frustrating how long into the season the flames were still mathematically alive and it was just if you would have just taken it that that would have <laughs> made things so much easier
3: it, it would have And I thought that late in the year, not surprising that Milan Lucic of all people would put everything into the best perspective. But I thought, Peter, that he did. And he talked about a couple of things. It's really hard to make the playoffs, whether it was this season or any other season, if you don't put together a good, true winning streak or real quality stretch of hockey. Mm -hmm. Their longest win streak of the year, my friend, was like that long and on the other side of the coin you know they went a stretch at a very important time in the season after the coaching change where they lost nine of 11. So when you combine those two things and you know we've talked about this a lot over the years you know two things that I always stand by you have to keep your losing ways really tight and compact. You know, generally if you start losing more than 3 in a row during the season, you know, more than once or twice, you're probably playing in a bad neighborhood. And then the other part of the season is this. Playoff teams generally don't lose a lot of games to non-playoff teams. That's one I've always stood by, and of course you can point, you know, directly and it's it's fair to a certain extent, but how they handled their business against the Ottawa Senators, and and the Flames weren't alone. As you know, The mm-hmm. Senators were a pretty darn fine team after that two twelve and one beginning, where you and I might have stopped more pucks than you know <laughs> they were getting in a young team, you know, finding their way without confidence. Ottawa, in a sense, if you took out the first few weeks, they probably deserved to be a playoff team. With how they performed in the last three months of the season, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the Flames just really never found their stride. And whether it's in games or in a season, Peter, outside of the first three games coming out of the gate, and then remember in January, they had that five day break. It was almost like they were chasing uphill the whole year. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, when the games felt more important than they ever have and the scrutiny and, you know, the one thing I've talked about a lot too is I've never been a part of a season where every night one way or another felt like the be-all or the end-all with all mm-hmm. the attention in Canada, in the Canadian markets, and, and I do. I, I, think, I think outside noise was a huge factor in what happened, especially yeah. for teams that didn't do well. You yeah, know, it was a season that weighed very heavy, heavy.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so how, how, how does this get fixed now? And
0: I understand if, if there was just a magic, well, just do this, then everyone would, would do it. And, and we probably would be making a, a little bit more than, than what we're making now. But when you look at, at this flames
3: team, how, where, where does the next step, I guess, come from? Well, I think first and foremost, now that, you know, Daryl Sutter is on board and and we expect him to be around for a while and he's not going anywhere, Right. you know, in in any situation, in any business with any team, I think what becomes really, really important is a, a couple of things. So I would talk about stability and in the coaching area for this team, they need some stability. They just, they haven't had it. Um, you know, there's been way too many changes for anyone's liking and that, you know, that doesn't speak to good things. So they need some stability there. But probably more importantly, Peter is from ownership management, you know, to Daryl and the coaching staff, there's always going to be differences of philosophy and on players and who you like and, and what you're trying to build. But the best that everybody can now that I think Daryl is very much a focal piece, you have to be on the same page. So decide, assess, and then, you know, try to feed the machine if you will that way, because, you know, the other thing about, you know, changing coaches a lot is it's no different than a lot of other scenarios. What one coach likes or sees in a player or two or how they want to play is going to be different than the next guy and, and how he goes about his business. And I think you saw that this year, that it, it was a major change, not only in how they played, Peter, but just, you know, the type of person and expectation and, and philosophy of Daryl in comparison to Jeff. So that, even in the middle of the season, becomes a whole new selling process. Because if you're a player, in a lot of ways, they are constantly trying to impress a new boss. And that's where I go back to stability. So everybody's got to be on the same page, hopefully assess the same way, and I make no bones about it. I don't think this is a scenario where you have to make necessarily – a massive core change, but you need to shake it up. Yeah, You just, you absolutely at this point, you know, and and again, it's also how you define the core too, because there's kind of been core pieces that have come in almost underneath the core part of the core. When you think about a Hannafin, when you think about, you know, Elias Lindholm, when -hmm. you think about Chris Tanev, potentially depending on what happens in expansion and what they decide to do with Mark Giordano, um, Rasmus Anderson. So I, I really like a lot of that group, but, but for the same group that's kind of gone along for, you know, six or seven years and hasn't been able to kind of get you over the hump or to a more consistent level of a group, somebody or something has to change. You just, You need to change the feel. I think of that group.
0: Yeah, no.
3: And I, I thought that that probably should have
0: happened last off season. And I understand circumstances being what they are or what they were. And and I guess still are Um, it's difficult to do that when the salary cap goes flat and you weren't expecting it to go flat and all of these things that have happened in the world since then um, it it makes it very difficult, but no, I I agree. I I think that there needs to be some kind of shift because it's just, it hasn't worked right. Like at, at at its peak, it looked great for half of a season and then didn't in the playoffs. And like that, if you want to keep doing that and you want to kind of keep selling a couple of games of playoff tickets, fine. But if you want to build a Stanley cup champion,
3: I I don't, uh, something needs to change. You're, You're right. Well, the hard part, Peter, as you know, is it's always such a fine line between, you know, what you see as success and what you don't see as success Um, Yes. I mean, and again, this spring has shown us that when you get in, some interesting things can happen for absolute sure. Mm -hmm. However, in saying that, I still think what you're looking to do, like, I I always think it's a three-step program. And and the three steps is, okay, I want to show that I can compete for a playoff spot on a regular basis. That's one. For me, step two is I need to be an annual playoff participant. And then step three to me is becoming an elite team where there really is never any question. And, you know, and in the salary cap era and as tight as the league is and things change, there's injuries, you know, every season is unto itself, which is part of the problem. But the Flames still haven't quite arrived at step number two. And and I think it's fair for people who have thought that they should be there at this point in time. There's there's still probably, Peter, not enough top to bottom, if you will, talent that is meshing together Mm. to be elite. And I guess the overriding story is when you're kind of flirting around that middle all the time of whether you're kind of in or you're not in, or you're in that neighborhood where the Flames, frankly, have been, you know, for a long time, outside of what really you have to look at today as an epiphany, and that's four and a half months of 2018-2019, that's where you've been. So you're not drafting really high more often than not, you know, although they did get Matthew Kachuk, in 2016 in the six hole so it's it's tough to be in that middle neighborhood in a lot of ways and really progress
0: yeah and one of the ways you do that is you find some diamonds in the rough and whatever anyone thinks of him Johnny Gaudreau has certainly been that from a a Calgary Flames perspective for sure um yeah uh, but there was some wonder of how he would fit with, with Daryl Sutter. And I, I will I will readily admit, when I was saying on the radio that there needs to be a change to the core, that was my code for saying Johnny Gaudreau needs to be traded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know if he needs to be traded. I don't think he can be the top guy on this team going into next year. If that means you bring in another dude, or he's on the way out and a couple other dudes come in, I uh, something needs to change up top. But just for Johnny specifically, how do you think he meshed with Gerald Sutter, because that on the, on paper, that looked like
3: oil and water. Well, I, I think it was a work in progress. I, I think, you know, I, it's fair to suggest that Johnny played his best hockey in quite some time, certainly on the offensive side, uh, you know, down the stretch with Lindholm and Kachuk. That was a pretty good combination. I thought uh, Johnny, for the first time in quite some time, I felt, became a dangerous offensive weapon again and frankly that was missing for quite some time it it just was and there's lots of reasons and you know we could get into a lot of them and you know Johnny's such a i don't know if he's a polarizing guy for many but he is a polarizing guy in some ways for me so Mm -hmm. you know i get exactly where you're coming from and i don't you know i don't disagree now if you're Calgary, depending on what you decide to do, would you be okay coming back with that trio as a quasi number one unit? You probably would. You probably would. So, you know, if you are going to go down, down that line, and I think Peter, in some ways, you know, what choice do you, well, you have choices. Mm -hmm. You have lots of choices, but with Daryl as the coach, I'm not sure that, there's a real interest, if you will, to tear the whole thing down. Right. And I don't think they need to tear the whole thing down, to be frank, um, because there is some really good in the right age type pieces to build with going forward. But there's really only two ways you can do it. So if you don't have the elite of the elite, which right now I think it's fair to say they don't in comparison to Mm -hmm. some teams, not all teams. And that's the other thing about this season. You know, when you're playing against Winnipeg and Toronto and Edmonton all the time, they got a steady dose of the elite, 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 right? That's not going to be necessarily the case when you're back to being in the Pacific division and playing everybody else. But, you know, in vegas and with edmonton you're still dealing with that in the pacific so if if that group's going to be number one well you've got manjapani i still think there's great progress even though it was under daryl sutter a lot of hard lessons learned by dylan Dubey and he'll be a fascinating guy for me personally you know come the middle of september when training camp starts You know, you'd like to think Zeri down the road is going to be a good piece. But, Peter, they don't have a lot of, you know, they don't have a lot of high-end elite offensive talent. And they don't have it necessarily in their system or on the way either. Right. So if you can't necessarily compete that way, then I better have a four-line group where I can win matchups – in a different way throughout my lineup, you know, until at a certain point. Now that's not to say would I put a package together potentially if you really thought Jack Eichel was going to want to come here, be the guy. But again, I say this a lot too. If I got to give you three really good pieces to get one, yes, we'd all love to have a number one center. But I don't want him to be disgruntled because he now doesn't have people to work with either. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm as interested and curious and you know, fascinated to see where they're gonna go because there's lots of things about this team that I like. Yeah. What I don't like is they've yet to show you in hard playoff style situations. That they can prosper and get over, mm-hmm. but guess what? Hmm. As this spring has shown, they're not alone.
0: <laughs> no, not not even alone in this country. Um, no, or no. this province even.
3: <laughs> not even in the province.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, I know. We're talking about right? the Flames. How much fun have these playoffs been so far? Just uh, a it, quick you know, detour. It's been amazing.
3: Hey, it's been it's been really good, and um, I'd be the first to say. Not that I haven't missed the fans incredibly, but I'm an odd duck in the sense that, you know, you start a game out here on the lawn to my left, (laughs) you know, let alone the game that I can see to my right. um, You know, it doesn't, I don't need a whole lot, but I will say this, you know, when the fans came back in the United States and the buildings started to fill up and the enthusiasm it has made a massive difference. Yeah. And some of the hockey is, you know, has just been, it's been off the charts.
2: Yeah. No, you it, know, it's... the
3: game, even as we tape this on a Thursday, you know, the game last night between Vegas and Colorado, oh. you know, and, and it's one of those things, you know, I, 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 had nothing but great things to say about Minnesota for me, they're kind of the surprise story in many ways of the 2021 season. I didn't want Minnesota to win because I didn't want to have this series, (laughs) you know, taken away. Yeah. And the way Colorado played in the first four periods of that series, I'm like, well, it might not matter for Vegas or anybody else, but Mm -hmm. you know, and it still might not as Mr. Ranton scores in overtime, but that was, you know, that was a fabulous display. Carolina, Nashville, great series you know, what we've seen in that Eastern division, if you will, with those four teams has been terrific. And, you know, I guess I shouldn't not mention the first round series that I might've enjoyed the most, which was Tampa, Florida. Oh, how good was that? Uh, It was, it was, you know, I probably unfortunately didn't see as much of it as even I would have liked. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Yeah. It had everything skill passion physicality you know a little nonsense <laughs> um you know that florida team that's a good team yep they have a little ways to go especially on the back end but that's a good team
0: yeah yeah they're they're gonna be a problem yeah, uh, in years to come
3: they're a handful my friend they're yeah. a handful um they're gonna be a handful
0: Back with the, back with the flames. We we talked Mm -hmm. about Gaudreau. Um, Sean Monaghan gets lumped in with that as well as they, they have been attached to the hip for forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I I always felt it weird when we would talk about Sean Monaghan and talk about how he has improved other aspects of his game. People on the the text line would take that to mean, Oh, well, he's Patrice Bergeron now. That's what we're saying. It's like, well, no, No, there's, there's, there's a gap there, but he's at least looking to improve in the areas that he was deficient in before. What did you see from Sean Monahan this year?
3: Well, I mean the, the hard thing is is we knew relatively early because he missed two or three games at one stretch. And I and I did. I always felt all year long and I'm not even saying that it was the same problem you know early as it was late which, you know, turned into an early exit and season ending hip surgery, but, and Sean didn't look right to me for the majority of the season. Now I must say that while a lot of flames nation, if you will, he seems to take more heat than anybody. Yeah. uh, And and maybe I'm a little blind or a little biased. I've always felt that, you know, Sean maybe takes it in the teeth a little harder than I personally think he should, Um, Because of some of the things that you mentioned, I think Sean has really tried hard to become a better 200-foot player. Now, in making that transition, has it taken away from what he's always done? Yes. But how do you really assess this year? Um, I've talked to some people who have had hip problems it's pretty amazing that he even played as long as he did, let alone try to be productive. Right. So what I really hope for Sean is be healthy. <laughs> he, like, he, he's always somewhat been fighting something, but the thing I admire about Sean and I admire about anybody, frankly, because we all like to do things that come easy to us it can be really hard to be motivated to get better at things that don't come easy. Right. So I do, I I think Sean has made some strides in his game. Now, do I think there could come a point in time where Sean could be a trade chip? Yes, potentially I do, depending on how you see your center Iceman one through four, but he wasn't healthy. And, and if you're not healthy, how do I properly assess yeah, it's tough. It is. Yeah, um, uh, a
0: couple other players I want to get your thoughts on. Um, admittedly, when um, when it was no longer my job to cover the team on a daily basis, I, I kind of stopped paying attention for for a little bit. It was just. It was a lot, but yeah. Um, yeah. oh yeah, I, I would still kind of like, you see stuff on Twitter and everything like that. And then one day I see Daryl called out Dylan Dubé for needing to, to grow up a little bit. And that admittedly caught me by surprise because he didn't take the giant step forward I thought he might this year, but I, I didn't think he was call him out in the media bad this year. So um, I, I guess I want to take your take from from watching it every night. What did you see from Dylan Dubé this season?
1: Well.
3: Peter, I, I still think the sky is the limit for this guy. Um, you know, I, I've been, as you know, I've been watching him for a long, long time, going back to when he was 13 and through his junior career, two world juniors. I still think there's a true top six forward there. Yeah. I really do. But consistency, doing it right on a regular basis away from the puck matters a lot. And there was some really tough love that he had to deal with this year. And did I feel for him at times? I did. But the interesting thing for me, and I don't know how this is going to play out. Dylan Dubé can be a really, really important player. So if you're a really, really important player and what I think is a big part of the future, if I have to go through some growing pains to have somebody completely, clearly understand what they need to do to be successful, sometimes that tough love is required. But I also think that Dylan has the right makeup to take it, get through it, and prosper from it I, I there, there are very few guys on this team like this is not a team loaded with top six type people it just isn't yeah now and I'm not saying he's there yet but when this guy is right he's got it going on and the other thing about Dylan that I think he has that some other key guys on this team haven't proved to me yet, when it matters the most, this guy's usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say this year in that situation, especially after Daryl took over, that maybe there was a step back. But I do. I, I think I think given given the right guidance, little maturity, just more experience. Yeah. He just he loves the game too much. He's too blasted. And he has too many things, I think, going for, for him. I just think, Peter, I, I'm not saying I know exactly when, because if I did, then you and I could do something different and we could both <laughs> prosper and then we wouldn't have to worry about this conversation. And I'd be happy to take you with me. Um, but I do. I, I think his best days are coming. Yeah. I believe in this guy. I, I, I really do. And Uh, I can't necessarily always say that about everyone, but right, I I believe in this guy. I really do. Uh,
0: I think something you said earlier about how kind of every season is just its own thing. I I think sometimes people like think, okay, and and I think the Florida Panthers are a good example where it's supposed Mm -hmm. to just go straight up the whole way. And then you get up to the the top and you're a champion. And the Panthers have had a lot of dips on the roller coaster. And it happens with prospects too. Like we just expect... OK, well, this year you're going to be a fourth liner, then a third liner. Now you're a top six guy and you're going to be fantastic. And it just it doesn't go that way. Um, right. And so I, I, I'm i with you. I, I think if this was a step back, it's probably going to be two steps forward very, very right. soon for this guy. And I, I think probably a Yusuf Alimaki probably fits into the same type of a conversation where that didn't he wasn't an all star shooting to the moon this year. He, no. he was he was fine, but he wasn't what people thought he was going to be. But I think giving up on either of these guys would definitely be a, a fool's errand.
3: Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't – I have no idea, to be honest, what the new head coach of this team feels about both those guys. Yeah. I know what his expectations are, and and I understand, at least in part, what he's looking for. And, you know, in the case of you so what I love about Yuso the most – is is this guy cares mm-hmm. beyond belief he's a very passionate emotional caring guy and when you're on the wrong side of that equation sometimes you can find yourself in some tough spots but remember in assessing you so how do i put this nicely and not make a lot of people mad no i'll just make people mad cuz i'm good at it sometimes <laughs> why do we have to designate people for places that they need to get to so quickly? Mm. You know, Yuso is going to be this Calder guy and, and I love him. I like, he's a guy I think that could wear a letter for your team down the road at some point. That's how highly I think of him, not only as a player, but as a human. Yeah. But remember he hadn't played hockey really in two years. And now you're back in the NHL and now you're back against this season, high pressure, some of the most skilled people on planet earth that play the game in your own division. Right. And outside of being a young goalie. And I think it's even harder now because of what we really want in young defensemen being able to defend elite level people is hard. And it takes time. Yeah. And and in his situation, if if I'm gonna give you 12 to 14 minutes, I, I think if you're Daryl, Daryl needs to see that part first before the other stuff is more okay. Yeah. So his skating needs to get stronger. They did a lot of work on that. Just he he needs more time. Needs more time, more experience. Because the one thing I will say from the back end, he sees it at a different level than anybody back there, but needs time. Yeah. Needs to get just physically stronger, more mature, and better at playing at the National Hockey League level in terms of defending people. Yeah. And I think
0: we, we've been so spoiled with some of the young players that have come into this league at 18 years old and just taken off that it's easy to forget. There, there is a trajectory to this. Like it's not supposed to be, you come in, you dominate from day one, that oh, right. there's supposed to be some growth and you're supposed to, to grow into this a little bit. And I, I get that. Maybe people were too patient at times with Sam Bennett and that ends up the way it did, but mm-hmm. also like, it, it doesn't always work out that way either. Like they're, you're allowed to just progress through this job, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
3: Well, you are. And I do think there's a big difference between forwards and defense. Mm, yes. It's, you know, there are some, we don't see a lot of 18 year old stalwart defensemen jumping in to the national hockey league. And even if, you know, you take somebody like Quinn Hughes, for an example, who was, 18 plus when you know he had his big year 19 or no oh, he played in two world juniors so he was like past that stage takes time yeah and even he who exploded out of the gate in year one and and he's going to be a heck of a player for a long time don't get me wrong but defensively even for him this year without a partner like chris tanev yeah didn't defending well. elite level people as a young defenseman is hard. It's really, really difficult. I mean, let's stay with the Flames. Rasmus Anderson had no shortage of ups and downs mm-hmm. this year either. Expectations go up. You know, started the year kind of running the first power play, put extra pressure on yourself. And he's 24. And he's going to be a really good player and is a good player. Yeah. But further to what you talked about, like we want everybody to go from step one to step 10. Outside of that really small, like one, one and a half percentile. It's a process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it not, is. It it's is. not always, it's not always as easy as my cat just made a look from one step. No, to no he, uh, he uh, goes
3: <laughs> up there very well. Yes. Yeah. The, the truth of the matter is, the cat will also come down at some point Mm -hmm. and that's what happens there's a lot of this until you have enough experience and reps and go through good and bad to kind of go okay now i'm here now i'm now i've arrived and here's who and what i should be at the highest level in this sport
0: yep yeah. And it, it just, it's frustrating because nothing's supposed to take time anymore, but it does. It, it just, it just takes time. Well, that's
3: why that. we get, and that's why young kids get messed up Mm-hmm. because yes. in their own, because in their own minds, they're used to it going from step one to step 10. Yeah. Without a lot of setbacks. There's setbacks. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I, I just, I look at how players are developed now and it seems like there's a lot of, okay, well, you're just going to go play in the NHL. And if you suck, we'll find someone else who's a whole lot cheaper. Like it just, it feels like we're missing a step with some of these guys these days.
3: Well, I think what we're missing, and it's a great point that you bring up, Peter, is this. There's not a lot of middle left. No. In the NHL. And with the middle comes experience and reps and time and leadership and all of that it's if you're not kind of a star now when you're like 28 or 30 it's hard to stay in the league yeah because of what you talked about because of the cap and somebody's younger and cheaper they're not ready they're not Mm -hmm. ready so you've lost that's the step you know you, you have a lead of the elite you have really, really talented young people, you know, unlike I've ever seen, you know, I can't, you know, what guys can do now, and it's not just at the NHL level, go, you know, if I go to the rink and watch under 15, what it looks like today (laughs) in comparison to what it looked like 10 years ago, is like a different game. Right. And I'm not kidding when I say that. So that all translates, but there's still something to be said about, you know, Let's take Toronto and Edmonton for an example. So are Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews two of the most gifted people on planet earth? Yes. But are they still young? Yes. Are they going through growing pains? Yes. Did either one of those guys, even though one is clearly the most talented player in the world, his team lost to Chicago in the summer and just got swept by the Winnipeg Jets. Well, that's not all on him. I'm right. not taking away from his ability. I know what his ability is. With a hockey puck, I've never seen a guy faster or potentially more dangerous in all the time I've watched the sport. But there's this other little intangible that I think still matters. Two of them, experience and winning yeah winning what do you get done when it's the most difficult that's that's why and and people as you know because you'd see it on the text line get frustrated with me at times it's not that i don't care about the regular season but if you really want to win me over personally yeah get it done when it matters
2: yes yeah.
3: But and, and back I think, to my original point is we expect those guys at 24 and 23 to have all the answers too. Right. They have all the talent, but it's, it's more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's and I, I am,
3: I understand it. Like I, I
0: lived there for a couple of years. I understand people in Toronto and their fascination with the Leafs and wanting that team to do well. Um, but people who are giving up on this group, like, you look at the dude Austin Matthews can barely grow a mustache right now and and we're giving up on this guy like come on like the, the those guys are going to be good but i i do think to, to your point um I, I think that there is such a thing as learning how to win and, and that's why well, there is. i i get i get concerned about the and that's why i don't think it worked at Edmonton when you get the okay well let's just rebuild and we're going to suck and we're going to get all the first round picks and then we're going to be awesome and it's like they're you have to learn how to win when it, there's five minutes left and you're down by a goal and the other team knows who to focus on. What do you do? Like there, there are some yeah. steps in there and learning how to win. Yeah. And that,
3: that seems to be forgotten a lot. It, well, days. it is. It, it is. And, you know, I get it. We're in love with numbers today. Mm-hmm. We're in love with the fantasy aspect of sports today. It's not going away. I get it. Even the old fart that I am, I get it. <laughs> But I still care about winning. Yeah. Because I see a lot of of disappointment in the fan bases when they don't win. Yeah. So, you know, nobody ever necessarily has raved about Patrice Bergeron as the world's greatest player. Seems to be pretty good when it matters, I find. I would say, yeah. And, and, I, and I also find, yes, it takes time for some guys to learn how to win. But I, I also have pointed out, there's certain young people at a certain young age, sometimes that just demonstrate, when it's on the line, they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I don't think it's an accident. No. Like, you might not like the fact that Brad Marchand has licked the odd face, <laughs> But from the time this guy was 16, 17 years old in the biggest of situations, regardless of the age group, I see good things happen at important times. Mm -hmm. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. And that's why I think tournaments
0: like the the one that I'll let you get back to here in a moment, Um, (laughs) why those are, are so important, because. Like that, that is another stage on the international level. And I get, we don't take it as seriously here as they do over there and holy crap, do I need to go watch one of those at some point, but going to, to watch a a world or going to a world hockey championship for a young player and just playing in those meaningful games seems like valuable learning experience to me.
3: You know, and this year is just different because it's, it's wacky and it's COVID and it's Latvia, but under most normal circumstances, but even this year, okay. Okay. So, Andrew Mangiapane, don't tell me he's not going to be better for this experience. Right. You're just, you're exposed to different people, different coaching, different players, you know, meaningful, you know, today's game in the quarterfinal against Russia. The more big game type of experience that you have, You know, going over there for him, starting the tournament with the country in the worst shape it's ever been in the event at 0-3, you don't think those guys haven't felt a little heat over there? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, I know for the most part, nobody cares. And and in a lot of cases, this year even less, and I get why. But when they were 0-3 and, and had two goals, and you're Canada, and all you're hearing is this is going to be the first team never to make the quarterfinals, they had to dig in and find a way. Now, to their credit, they had about 93 things go their way in order for it to happen. <laughs> you know, and even as we speak, they're giving an unbelievably powerful Russian team all they can handle, down one. But those, those situations make you better. You're around different players. Um, For me, you just can never have enough playoff, bigger game experience. How do you, like, how do we get better at anything? Right. Reps. Reps. Yeah. Reps.
0: Yeah, that's why I've kept doing this. Um, Yeah, me too. (laughs) <laughs> and uh yes I, I will let you get to that hockey game uh mr labardius thank you very very much um for all you helped me with at uh, at sportsnet 960 and then doing this today I, I i cannot express to you how much uh your support has meant to me so thank you very uh, much uh, sir
3: i care about you deeply want nothing but the best for you this crazy industry i don't know where it's headed a lot of times but uh <laughs> anytime you uh pick up the phone Peter Lubardius will answer. That okay. is that is a guarantee. Thanks, well, thank you. Thank you.
0: I only used about half my notes today, so I, I will definitely be. Uh,
3: I'll be definitely calling. <laughs> Wait, that's in that's soon. hard to believe.
0: <laughs> all right, have a good one, sir. Okay, pal. Be well. You too, Take care. All right, that's the show. Going to be back in uh, taped slash live. I mean, all of it's taped. It's a fucking podcast, but. Uh, going to be back on Wednesday with uh, a couple of guests. We got James Sabolski coming on to talk Vancouver Canucks much like we talked Flames on this episode and then Sandra Persino. The initial conversation will be a Euro 2020 preview but we also will get into a number of different things. Always enjoy chatting with Sandra and uh, hope you'll enjoy listening to it when we're back again on Wednesday. We're out! No, no.